this isn't about the sermon, but I sometimes wonder if people say about me like uh, Herod said about John. I'm greatly perplexed, but I like to listen to him. As long as I don't wind up like John did. <laughs> this sermon isn't about that. This is about the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. We have come all the way through, all the way through the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power, St. Paul says here in the last chapter. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We've come now through the whole letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, reading it carefully one chapter at a time and asking each week what the mission of the brand new church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago has to show us about the mission of the church today. Both the church universal throughout the world and the church particular, you might say, here in Oak Cliff on Keast Boulevard. We saw at the beginning, just to run us all back through where we've come, we saw at the beginning that the church's mission is unlike any other mission. It's a strange mission. Because in a real sense, our mission is already accomplished in the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, given to us as a free gift by God's grace. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, we are already forgiven in Christ of our sins and raised up to new and eternal life. The oppressed are set free. The broken and the dying are healed and made new. And all we have to do is open our hands and our hearts in faith and receive this overwhelming gift with joy and thanksgiving. As the great hymn had it that we quoted from, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. With that foundation laid, Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone, we then moved on to ask of St. Paul and his letter to the church in Ephesus. How then should we live? What is our mission? If we have been given this overwhelming gift of forgiveness and healing and freedom and new life, then what do we do next? And we saw in the second and third chapters that straight away we are called to live together as one reconciled body in Christ. Would you mind shutting the door, Danny? I'm sorry. <laughs> or someone. Thank you, John. We saw in the second and third chapters that straight away, even if a phone call comes, we are called to live together as one reconciled body in Christ. One new man, as St. Paul puts it, both Jew and Gentile, with the dividing walls of race and nation and class and party that keep us separated, torn down for good. We saw that the very stones and bricks in the wall that used to divide us can actually be, in God's mercy, rebuilt, reused, as we are built together into the city of God, the kingdom of God, where we are all invited to take our place as sons and daughters of the one King, Jesus Christ.
We saw our calling as a church to live as a sign and herald of this reconciliation to a divided and warring world. To show people that it's not just a dream, but the foretaste of the kingdom of God that will be established one day on earth, just as it is in heaven. We saw that in the fourth chapter that God has given us all gifts to serve the body and to love our neighbors, whatever they may be. We saw that we need all of our gifts to work together in the one body. Everyone in this room has different giftings. My wife has different giftings than I do. Like St. Paul said elsewhere, the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. We all need each other's gifts. And we also saw that our talents, our skills, whatever our giftings may be, are at the deepest level gifts. They are spiritual gifts given to us by God, not so that we can use them for our own benefit at someone else's expense, but instead given to us so that we can bless and love and serve our neighbors. Whoever you are then, if you draw breath this morning, and all of you are here, therefore you do, you have gifts that God gave you. And that means that you have a calling and an important ministry. Mother Emily and I see this here at St. Augustine's every day. When people selflessly give of themselves to love and serve our people and our neighbors. In the fifth chapter, last week, we saw that we are called to walk as children of the light walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, living as imitators of God, as we see that in Christ Jesus. The pathway for life that God gives us in Christ and in Holy Scripture isn't meant to be a list of rules so that we don't have any fun. That's not what it's for. It's not true that the devil has more fun. It's actually just the opposite. The devil is lonely and miserable. The way of life that God shows us is where the good life is truly found in the servant love of Jesus that shows itself in the Christ-like, in Christ-like service to our families, friends, and neighbors. In honest work and a job well done, rather than in greed and self-serving ambition, and in love and faithfulness in marriage. So put away the deeds of darkness, St. Paul tells us. Why would you want that rubbish anyway? Walk instead as children of the light, where the deep joy of the good life that God wants for us is to be found. All of this, then, is where we've been in the past six weeks. The free gift of Christ and the foundation of the gospel. Our call to respond in thanksgiving as one reconciled body in Christ. The gifts we've all been given to love and serve our neighbors. And the call to walk as children of the light, where true joy really is found. You might then say, All right then, that sounds pretty good. Why don't we wrap it up right there? We've been given forgiveness and new life in Christ. We've been given our marching orders. We've been gifted in the Spirit. We've been given everything we need to follow Jesus. And we've been shown the way of life that really is life. So what more do we need? Why not just claim the blessings and live the victory? Thanks be to God and amen. Well, 
There's a lot to be said for that. But, like so many things in Christian doctrine, half true can wind up being completely wrong. I was driving with a friend not long ago past a very large church in Dallas when I was relatively new to Dallas. This church shall remain nameless. But my friend pointed at it and said, Oh, look, there's six flags over Jesus. Now, I happen to know that there are people at that very large, impressive-looking church and others like it whose faith and Christ-like love are truly genuine and humble. Absolutely. But, the problem that I sometimes see is the assumption, spoken or unspoken, that everything goes better with Jesus. Sort of like a new car or a, or a new brand of soap. It's the assumption that real Christians have it all figured out. That real Christians are so hashtag blessed that we always just walk around with a smile on our faces and a spring on our, in our steps, filled to the brim by God with health, wealth, and happiness. Well, we see, not just here in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, but I think also in our own lives, in the lives of people we care about, that this just isn't always true, is it? Well, St. Paul assumes that it's not necessarily going to be true. He assumes that Christians have signed up not for health, wealth, and happiness, but instead for a great cosmic struggle, a battle. Not just against visible powers, he says, but most fundamentally against the cosmic forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Far from the superficial assumption that everything just goes better with Jesus, it's actually closer to the truth for St. Paul to say that signing up with Jesus is going to bring us a lot more trouble, loss, and heartache than we might have bargained for. There's a wonderful hymn. You may know it. We rarely sing it, but it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, uh, it's wonderful lyrics. It's written by the Mississippi poet William Alexander Pershing, and it's in our hymnal. It sums up the difficult lives to which Christ calls his disciples. It's talking about the 12 disciples. He says, Contented, peaceful fishermen before they ever knew the peace of God that filled their hearts brimful and broke them too. Young John who trimmed the flapping sail, homeless in Patmos died. Peter who hauled the teeming net, head down was crucified. The peace of God that is no peace but strife closed in the sod. Yet Let us pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. That hymn was a balm for me not long ago in my life. You are signing up for a battle, Paul says. Following Christ and turning away from darkness are going to be harder than going with the grain. They're going to be more difficult and the lives we led before. That's why Paul ends his letter to the church, not just with six flags over Jesus and health, wealth, and happiness, but instead with an exhortation to put on the full armor of God. We are up against forces that are far stronger and bigger than we are. 
and can't withstand them on our own. Therefore, we need, Paul says, to gird ourselves daily with the gifts that God has given us to withstand the assaults of the enemy. The breastplate of truth, the shoes of peacemaking, the shield of faith, the helmet of our salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need, he says, to be praying in the Spirit at all times, at all times, not just Sundays, and to persevere in supplication for all the saints. Here then, I think, is where St. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the church in Dallas comes full circle. The mission of the church is already accomplished in Jesus Christ, and it is then given to us by God to join in here and now by the Holy Spirit through the life together of the church itself. So what does the church do? I want to close with three ways that I think Paul shows us that we are formed for our mission. First, we are a people of prayer, prayer and worship. Our lives in the church are meant to be formed, shaped by daily prayer and weekly worship as our hearts and minds are renewed after the pattern of Christ. This is meant to fill us with the Spirit of God and to give us the fruits of the Spirit that Paul says elsewhere are things like peace, patience, kindness, love, gentleness, forgiveness, generosity, self-control. Gifts that go far beyond our own ability when we're irritable or cranky or just plain worn out. We need to be praying and worshiping. Second, we are meant to be a people of study. We read the scriptures week in and week out, day in and day out, until their story works its way into our imagination and our daily lives, until the story of scripture becomes our story too. At Mignon Harris's funeral not long ago here, her son read the scripture lesson from her own Bible, which I saw, and maybe you saw too, was covered on almost every page with notes and underlining. She just read through it and made notes for years. There was a woman who had, just like the colic in our prayer book says, read, marked, and inwardly digested the Holy Scriptures. Doing this had shaped her life, I think, into an image of the Christ that the Scriptures bear witness to. We're called to do the same. Third, third and finally, we are a people of loving service and reconciliation, proclaiming in word and deed the gospel of peace, that in Christ, as Paul says, God has reconciled the world to himself, and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God has given us salvation, new life, and every good gift. And so we are a people who cannot help but give generously and serve our neighbors sacrificially, especially those in need. And I see people here doing that all the time. And I know that it happens when I don't see it too. Paul closes his letter 
as he began it. Peace be to the whole community, he says, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. May this church be a place where this is true. Filled to overflowing with peace, love with faith, and grace. May it be true in our homes, in our families, in our daily lives, in every word we speak and every step we take. Here, I think, is the mission of the church. To simply be a place of peace, love, faith, and grace, so deep and wide that everyone who comes in these doors and everyone we go out to invite in and to serve will know that this could only have come from God himself, from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.